We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. We are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It's April. I'm recording this on April 2nd. I hope you are all getting along and that this podcast can be an escape from boredom, Netflix, whatever it is you're doing um, with the added downtime in your life right now. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to this pod since the league shut down uh, in mid-March, you know I've been kind of treating this stoppage as an opportunity to look forward to the offseason. I'm um, looking forward at potential adjustments to the roster that uh, we think could happen this summer. Two weeks ago, we, we talked about the future of the power forward position in Minnesota and what Gerson Rosas might be looking for in a front court partner for Cat. If you want to check that out, I laid out why I think that player probably looks a lot like Aaron Gordon. Then last week, uh, more broadly, went into different trade targets at different positions. I talked more about uh, Karis LeVert, Clint Capella, Dennis Schroeder, and Buddy Heald, what they might uh, look like in Minnesota if the Wolves could put together a package to acquire one of them. The theme in those podcasts really has been, you know, on my part, an acknowledgement that this team, you know, needs to add to the Cat and D'Lo core to be able to progress into becoming a contender. But but this week I, I wanted to, to focus on that actual core um, of Townsend Russell and, you know, what they might be able to become. Those two have obviously only played one game together, so we don't really have tape or anything to break down on the pairing. So I, I think, or for me, the only way I, I know how to think about them is like existentially, the, the, the whole question of how good can that pairing be? And I think one way to do this is to you know compare them to other course, other two-man pairings around the league. And one, one I've always thought of is Damian Lillard as for a comparison for Cat. And then now through this vein, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum as, you know, as a comparison 
for Carl Anthony Towns and uh, D'Angelo Russell. Again, for a long time, I, I thought that Lillard is may, maybe aspirational, but but a comparison for Towns. I mean, he's an elite offensive player who has taken strides to become an average defender. His ceiling, though, is more of a best player at his position in the league rather than you know becoming an MVP. That's kind of where he's at. Uh, Lillard is uh, he's in his eighth year in the league. He's on his way to probably making his fifth All NBA team this season. He was third team in 2013-14, second team in 15-16. First team in 17-18, second team last season in 2018-19, and I think he'll probably get uh, second team again again this year. I also think McCollum is, is a fair, but you know maybe a little optimistic comp for Russell. After coming off the bench in his first two years in the league, he, he kind of had a slow start coming in. CJ won Most Improved Player in the 2015-16 season. Now, he's never made an All NBA team. He's never made an All Star team. Russell obviously did make the All Star team in 2018-19, but as we know, that was as an injury replacement in the East. I mean, I, I think McCollum probably would have made a few all-star teams had he been playing in the East these past few years. But all in all, CJ, he's been the clear-cut clear second-best player on a good team for the past five seasons. And with Russell, you know, in that spot in Minnesota, I think I think the comparison works. For both Towns and Russell, um, you know, Damon, CJ, they feel like fair projections. And in tandem, I, I think it works. Obviously, they play different positions, and they certainly have different personalities, but they're similar in overall caliber if Cat and D'Lo continue to prog progress. Well, I think this sounds sounds great. I think the point I'm trying to get here is is that is to kind of prove what we were talking about in the previous weeks that they do that the Wolves do need to add to this core that you know Cat and D'Lo won't be enough because Damon CJ they they haven't been enough. I'm not. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, but but I, if we go and look at the Blazers' last five years, I mean, they, Portland has proven you need more than than those two to be able to to be a contender. You at least need to acquire a third star level player to become, you know, to become a team that can make any sort of real run. So I, I think to, to illustrate that, I want to just go quickly through the last five years uh, of Portland. They, they've had a weird sort of up and down. Not up and down. I mean, I guess largely up, but um, it, it's an interesting path, and it's one that I is kind of you know formed a ceiling that it seems like they've hit. So spin back to 2015-16. This is the first season after Lamarcus Aldridge leaves for San Antonio. It's the year C.J. McCollum breaks out. So, sorry to start over. They 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 were 44 and 38, and the five seed in the West that year. So C.J. breaks out, wins most improved improved player. And they, they go to the playoffs. They're in the 4-5 matchup against uh, those Lob City Clippers. And they beat them. The, the Blazers won that series, moved on to the second round. Uh, that, that sounds great, but if, if you remember, that was the series where Chris Paul got hurt, Blake Griffin got hurt, and I, I looked it up. Jamal Crawford actually led the Clippers in minutes in that six-game series. So, you know, while that was – I just don't think it was a real – getting to the second round for the Blazers there. It's not, not exactly a, a crowning achievement, but it was, it was their first year. They went on to lose to the Warriors in the second round. Now, in 2016-17, uh, the record falls off a little bit. They go 41-41. and 41. They're the eighth seed in the West, and they get swept by the Warriors in the first round. Not great. 2017-18, though, they make a jump. Up to the third seed in the West, they win 49 games. But in the 3-6 matchup against the Pelicans, they actually get swept by Anthony Davis and company. Now, 2018-19, this was kind of their crowning achievement season last year. They go 53-29, and 
Again, the third seed in the West. They went to the Western Conference Finals in spite of Yusuf Nurkic being hurt. But this was it was kind of like the, the win over the Clippers where there's just there's holes to be poked in it. They did knock off Russell Westbrook and Paul George in the first round in the 3-6 matchup. That's a nice but expected win, you know, given where they ranked in the conference. And then the next round, they, they go on to beat the Nuggets in seven games. Another nice win. Denver was the two seed, you know, so that's that means something. But but the bracket was just messed up. Like, the, the Western Conference Finals last season was Houston and Golden State in the second round. So, so yeah, the, the Blazers might have made it to the Western Conference Finals, but but they were swept by the Warriors, and it's you know, it's it's really hard to make any sort of argument that they were a real contender for that conference, let alone a championship. So if that's your crowning achievement, I don't personally see that to be a super high bar, because now we fast forward to this year, it's 2019-20, and the Blazers are 29 and 37. They're currently the ninth seed in the West, and I think they're likely to miss the playoffs. Again, they have no Nurkic, so they don't have their third best player. But Dame has played in 58 of the 66 games, and CJ played in 62 of them. This season, though, I think it really highlighted what has been the consistent problem for Portland. They've just had very little behind Dame and CJ every year. They've never had really anyone there. And, I mean, this year is the most glaring where the two players that Dame and CJ have shared the floor with most are Hassan Whiteside and Carmelo Anthony. You know, that, that's a player who was in exile in Miami a season ago and a player who wasn't even in the league now who's third on your team in minutes per game. That sounds bad, but, it, again, it's not an isolated incident. You go back to 2018-19, and, you know, Nurkic is there, but it's Nurkic and Al Farouk Aminu who are number three and number four, the two players playing with Damon CJ the most. Again, 2017-18, again, Aminu and Nurkic. Spin back to 2016-17. Mo Harkless was the number three. Mason Plumley was the number four. And in 2015-16, three and four were, were Aminu and then Plumley again. That's just the – I mean, it, it seems silly now, but that's just that's just the type of supporting cast that's not going to be enough to win with. And I think, again, if we connect this to to Cat and D'Lo for Gerson Rosas in the Wolves front office, you, you know, they, they just – they can't afford to squander this window of their two best players by rolling with overplayed role players in those three and four spots on the roster. It's just without a true MVP at the top – you're not going to be able to carry that group. So I think it's worth pointing out how kind of Portland got here, how they just got kind of stuck in this treadmill of, you know, having Damon CJ and nothing else. And that's because after that first year where CJ wins most improved player, they look like they're on the rise. They, they beat the Clippers, um, even though there's no Chris Palm and Blake Griffin, you know, Blazers GM, Neil O'Shea, he, he moves all in. He signs Evan Turner to a four-year, $70 million contract. He re-signs Meyer Len- Myers Leonard to a four-year, $41 million extension. They re-sign Alan Crabb to a four-year, $75 million extension. And then McCollum was up, so they had to give him his extension, four years, $106 million. They, they signed multiple role players instead of being patient in the pursuit of adding one potential all-star to the Damon C.J. Corps. For the Wolves, whether it's this summer or the next, the front office needs to be doing whatever it can to line up for that third star. They can't risk expensive contracts to role players. For this summer, I think that's just why there has to be a walk-away number in negotiations for both 
Beasley and Hernan Gomez. I mean, hopefully they can lock them in at a good rate, but, you know, th- those two feel like they're fits next to Townsend Delo, but if that fit just proves to be theoretical, that that's a big that's a big risk to incur. Like, when Portland re-signed Leonard, he'd been a 40% shooter through his first four years in Portland. He seemed like an ideal stretch big to put next to Lillard and McCollum. So they gave him $41 million. And Crabb was the same thing. He was a 40% shooter that, you know, theoretically could flank Damon CJ. So they gave him $75 million. I mean, how did that work out? I'm not saying Hernan Gomez will become Leonard or especially that Beasley will become Crabb, but they're just, there is some risk in doling out substantial salaries to players that you know that you project to not be stars. It's, it's, it's not that you don't want or need role players. It's that you can't let having, them, having those players limit your ability to aim higher. Leonard, Crabb, and Turner, they, they, were, they were blockades that prevented Portland from being able to grow to any real height during the, I mean, a lot of the prime of Lillard and McCollum. You know, to, to get out of the salary cap hell they put themselves in, Portland had to shed all three of Turner, Leonard, and Crabb in salary dump trades. You know, two, two of them ironically wound up in Minnesota this year after bouncing around post-Portland. In ways now that those contracts are off the books, like Portland is out of salary cap hell, but now Dame and CJ are older. And they're at that point where those contracts expired and they're both, they were both up to re-up for new contract extensions because that's what, you hap- that's what happens when your stars you know, hit their prime. This, this put the Blazers now, because they signed one of those extensions, in, like, in a new, different salary cap hell. And it's, it's, where, it's where the Wolves could be headed with Cat and D'Lo if they're not careful. If they don't build along these next you know, few years with these guys, they're going to wind up in the same spot. I mean, before this year... Dame and CJ both had two years and about thir- and about sixty million left on their contract, thirty million per year. But to keep them happy, to keep them in Portland, Olshay had to give them both veteran extensions that kick in two years from now. McCollum added on three years and a hundred million, and Lillard, because he made All NBA, was allowed to sign what is called a designated player veteran extension. That added on one hundred ninety-six million to his contract over four more seasons. So, so that means. I mean, when you think about it, the Blazers are a 29-37 and 37 team whose two best players are locked up for the next five years without any real path to add around them. You know, functionally, McCollum is now on a five-year, $157 million contract after the extension, and Lillard is on a six-year, $257 million contract. I mean, that's, that's hell. It just is. Not to be alarmist, but Towns, Towns can sign that same designated veteran extension in the summer of 2022. Now, in ways, that sounds great because it means that's Cat's locked up for four additional years. But those four additional years, if he signed it as max, would cost $229 million. With the two years that he already has remaining on his current deal, that would functionally be a six-year, $298 million contract. Yet $50 million per season. D'Angelo Russell will be entering his last season under contract in that summer of 2022 when Cat can extend. That means Russell's also extension eligible. Would Towns require the Wolves to extend Russell for him to sign? I think that sure seems like a possibility to me. At Russell's max, then you're, you're looking at adding on another $183 million over four years. My point 
in bringing that all up is to show that the the Wolves are going to have to apply a sense of urgency here sooner than later. I know it feels like this whole fresh new front office and they're they're retooling, they're rebuilding, whatever. But there's an element of this where the time is of the essence. Otherwise, they're going to hit the same spot that Portland is currently in with Damon CJ. You know, Towns may be under contract for four more years after this season and Russell for three more years. But decision time for those guys comes before the deals are up. That's how extensions work. That means they need to add to the core. And they need to do, add, they need to do that soon, and they need to do it correctly. If they don't, again, the, the best-case scenario might be being the Blazers a few years from now. now. I know that's not like a totally terrible situation. You know, the fan base would love a steady diet of playoff series, runs, maybe even the Western Conference Finals. Like, that, that sounds great, but there's the holes to po- poke in that. Yeah, it would be a good business. It would be good from a business standpoint for the Timberwolves organization. It would likely allow Rosas to keep his job as Pobo, get an extension himself. But it just it just comes with the question of what what's the goal? What what are we trying to do here? What do you what do you want to win? You know, I think I mean Rosas does come from a Houston background that prioritized star hunting. They they did this in Houston. They tried to they saw when they had ceilings. And they broke through them. They tried to find ways to break through them. Like, that was the plan. It wasn't ride it out. Rosa's, like, I think his the pattern of his behavior here, too, suggests that that's what he's going to apply here. I mean, he's consistently verbalized since taking over that adding high-end talent is the priority. And I'm interested to see interested to see how much that impacts, you know, making moves that could, you know, create a ceiling or not create, or, or not making a move because it could create a ceiling. Again, specifically, as we've talked about this summer, I'm interested to see how it applies to the free agencies of Malik Beasley and Watcho Hernan Gomez. I mean, there, there's different ways to look at what signing Beasley, what path signing Beasley puts you on, what path signing Hernan Gomez puts you, on, puts you on, what path signing both of them puts you on. There's just a strong argument to be made that you've, if you're signing a guy to that above sort of mid-level number like Beasley's going to get, or, or, you know, even an investment in Hernan Gomez. Like, you you not only have to really like that type of player, you've got to like them and you've got to know that they fit in with your core. And it's just hard to know that with Beasley and Hernan, Hernan Gomez, given that they've only played 14 games in Minnesota. And only one of those with both Cat and D'Lo. Problem is, it's it's decision time. Like, if the season ends, like, it's it's the offseason. you gotta, you got to make that move. You know, given Rosa's background, I think we can anticipate what his lines of thinking are going to be. And I really do think it's going to be what we've been talking about on the pod the past few weeks. I think that route is going to be pursued. I do really think the pattern for growth with this team, given the players they have, given the contracts they have, is going to be building through a sequence of trades. Yeah, it's got to be the, it's got to be the right trades. I struggle to see how they grow linearly, you know, given this time crunch without trades. You know, with with Towns and Russell already on the books at the max currently, acquiring the next star isn't just going to come from going out and signing them and clearing cap space and doing that and getting them to come here. They, They just don't and won't have the space for that. And even if they did, it would be a process to get that player to sign. You know, acquiring a star... Minnesota is going to come through a sequence of moves 
just like it did with Russell, where they acquire players that they can develop and either turn into a star through development or turn around and retrade them for a star themselves, you know, after developing that player's value. I mean, let's talk about Karis LeVert and Buddy Heald from last week. Those are hypothetical options. But if you go out and trade for those guys, could the Wolves develop those guys, you know, expand their value and then turn around and trade them again a year from now for another level up? I wouldn't rule that out as a plan. Or maybe LeVert or Heald develop into an all-star. And then Russell's the one who's traded for another star. I mean, Russell's contract, if we, wa- if we want to have the Devin Booker conversation, I mean, Russell's contract matches up with Booker's. If you want to have a serious conversation about training for Devin Booker or any other star who's locked up like that, you're going to have to be sending out another star caliber piece. You know, fluffy contracts and future first round picks isn't going to do it. You're going to need to match with a real player. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's even Cat that eventually gets moved. Who knows? Maybe Russell and LeVert become this dynamic backcourt and Rosas decides he would rather you know, turn that cat asset into another star wing, you know, opting to go cheaper at center. You think like think like the Boston Celtics team where they have the they have the four stud guards and wings and then they just go super cheap with Daniel Tice at center. You know, or, or maybe Rosas wants to mirror what the current Rockets are doing and go with five wings all, all the way there. The moral of the story is whatever they're going to do, is that if Cat and Delo are actually what Dame and CJ were four years ago, trying to build in a linear fashion is not going to be the best path. I, th- I think we can say that with a good amount of authority. Rosas needs to constantly be looking for options that could lead to exponential growth. And I, I, I think he will. I do think in his eyes that the goal is a championship. I do not think he would be pleased with a pass, a path that leads to you know the quote-unquote success that Portland has had. I just don't think that that's real success. I think that's a nice step. So that's what's on my mind going into this offseason and looking forward to it. We, we talked about the type of moves that could potentially be made. Aggressive, but potential moves that they could be made. And we talked about those, or I talked about those because I think those are the type of moves, given this core, that they're going to need to make to ever be able to, you know, to push forward to another level. So I think that's – those are the questions I have going into this offseason is what are the moves? And, and even future offseason, the, the trade deadline next year, future offseasons. Yet next year it's going to be interesting to see what Cat and D'Lo can produce when they're on the floor together. But, but the real interesting question is what do they have to do beyond that to ultimately get to the next level? I mean, a, a million different things are going to go into that. Many, many moves, both big and small, trade signings, cap space, whatever. It, it all stacks together, and it's going to get them to where they're eventually going. I think the next the next move, the next step, I mean, we talked about Beasley and Hernan Gomez and free agency, but the next step is the draft. So for the pod, that's where we're going to start to pivot for, a future, for the future shows as we're stuck here in this dead time. I've finally been able to get some tape on all these prospects, so – I'll be digging into that, turning the focus of this pod in, uh, you know, as we're in this dead time, into the draft. You know, starting next week, because the wolves, the wolves have two top sixteen picks. I know we're all obsessed with how bad this draft is and saying all that, but I mean, that matters even in a bad draft. I mean, each of those picks open up a web of possibilities. Whether it's just drafting a player or trading the pick or combining it there, I mean, it is, 
it's it's the next it's the first step in a sequence of steps for this Timberwolves team to you know continue to build off of where they're currently at. Until then, um, I hope you're all staying sane at home. I hope these pods are proven to be a you know a brief escape from the actual you know pressing things in our lives right now. For me, just to put them together, they are so. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. I'll talk to you next week. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.